Hi friends, this is Melanie. I'm super excited to announce that next Saturday, January the 20th at 5 p.m., I'll be doing a Q&A and book signing for What Win Wine at the Barnes & Noble at The Grove in Los Angeles. There'll be a short Q&A and then a book signing. My first one, I'm super nervous. <laughs> so if you're anywhere in the area, please come see me. I would love to meet you. All right, now enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 39 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, <laughs> if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 39 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you, Jen? You're back in school, right? I am. I am back to work. The holiday is over, back at work with the kids. My son is, well, both sons are back at college, so our nest is once again empty and normal routine. Oh, my. How are the new kids? Well, it's the same kids that I had before, but. Oh, right, right, because it's Christmas. It's not yeah. summer. Yeah, <laughs> no, not not a different school year. I mean, I do get some new students. Um, since I'm the gifted teacher, we have gifted testing in the fall. Then we have spring gifted testing. So I actually did get a few new gifted students for second semester, which is always nice. And so far, they seem amazing. I love my students. I have the best teaching job in the world. So how are you doing? So I'm a big proponent of oregano oil for as like a natural antimicrobial and all of that stuff and just for the immune support. Listeners, do not... <laughs> I repeat, do not get the pure oregano oil and take it without diluting it enough. I did that and it burned my throat like a week ago and it still burned. What? Uh, that is awful. Oh my gosh. It's terrible. So I, t I still really recommend oregano, especially if you feel like you have a cold or your immune system is struggling. But um, please, if you get the, the pure extract, please, please be careful because I am suffering. So if my voice is a little crazy, that's why. Wow. You know, it's that's a good tip. Because I've also heard a whole lot about using oregano oil for um, for various various things. They say you shouldn't do it actually too much because it's so broad spectrum and it's so potent that you can actually do some probably some damage to your gut microbiome. Wow. Well, that's a great tip. Everybody, please be careful. Just because it's a natural recommended supplement does not mean there are not risks or dangers. And my book came out. 
Yay! I have a copy. Oh yay! Yeah, I went straight to Barnes and Noble and, oh, and picked it up on January second. Like I said, I would. Yeah, it looks fabulous. I know you are so proud. Oh yay! There's nothing like seeing it in a store, right? I know. It was so weird on the tables for the diet and fitness um, table, right by some of my heroes like Rob Wolf and Dave Asprey and like all the big the big names. Wow! So I was like, wow, this is. This is crazy. <laughs> That's so exciting. So I'm really excited about that. So listeners, that book is available at Barnes & Noble, also on Amazon. So that is What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And also for any listeners who are – now I'm going into announcement mode. But for any listeners who live in Los Angeles or near there, I'm actually going to have a book signing at the Barnes and Noble at the Grove, which is the Grove is like an awesome shopping center type place. That will be on January 20th. So it's a Saturday at 5 p.m. So if any listeners live in LA or in the area, I would love, love, love for you to come. It'll be short, it'll be fun. There's like a QA and then um, a book signing. Oh, that is fun. Yay. Yeah. Please come to that if you're in the area. I would that would just be amazing. Awesome. Oh, wait. I will say one more thing. So I've been trying to find lozenges for my throat. It is so hard to find. They, they like don't make loz- lozenges that don't have sugar or additives. I, I went to Whole Foods and stood in the, the cold aisle for like 30 minutes and they have so many different brands and even ones that say they're all natural and they're just not. <laughs> There's always stuff. Do you have any recommendations? Well, I don't use lozenges ever. But when I have a sore throat, I use um, olive leaf extract and I have a spray. One time we have a, um, a health food grocery store here in our town called Earth Fair. And I had a really bad sore throat. I mean, this was years ago before intermittent fasting. But my throat really hurt. And I went in there and um, asked for a recommendation, and she gave me this spray, this throat spray that was olive leaf extract, and it tastes like poison. So you're definitely not like – Is it just olive leaf extract? I I don't know. I'm not sure. It's probably in some kind of carrier. I don't know what else is in there, but, um, you know, I would use that. Yeah, because I just wanted something to coat my throat. Yeah. But everything has additives. It's so frustrating. I I should just make my own. And then I know that, like, Manuka honey is great, but obviously – we can't be downing Manuka honey during our fast. Um, now, I will say this. This is advice I give in the in the Facebook groups that we all give. <laughs> when you're sick or something's wrong, sometimes you have to, you know, use the honey even though you're fasting. You, and, yes, it, it does break the fast, but when, when you need that soothing whatever, sometimes you have to focus on that and say, well, you know what, I'll just get back to fasting as soon as I'm well. That's a great, that's a great, wonderful point to bring up. And I have been doing the Manuka honey in my eating window. I just, I struggle with my blood sugar. That's one reason fasting is so great for me. I, I, I don't have very stable blood sugar, especially when it comes to sugar. So if I have some Manuka honey in the fast, um, it just goes downhill like very quickly. So that, that's my problem. <laughs> yep. But yeah, just like like I always would say to other people, if you've got to, if you're sick and you've got to do something, then do it. Just because it's temporary, it's going to be over, and then you can get back to your good, clean fasting 
schedule. It's a really great point to bring up. And we we had a whole episode where we talked about this question, fasting while sick. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 39, we'll put that. We have references there and links. So you can check that out. You can also check out ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like for all of the stuff we like because I did find one brand of lozenges that doesn't really have too much craziness so i'll put it there Alrighty, shall we jump into all of our stuff today yes let's get started all right so to start things off we have a few listener feedback emails and the first one comes from drew and the subject is just a note of thanks and he says hi ladies this is just a note of thanks to both of you using a 19-5 approach which means that he fasts for 19 hours and then eats for five hours I have managed to almost get my waist back. I appreciate your dedication to research. That's about it. The IF lifestyle is so amazing. You two are adorable. (laughs) I like that, adorable. And slowly but surely, my life is getting better. Much love, Drew. Love to hear that from you and so happy IF is working. Yay, and that he's getting his waist back. That's very exciting. All right, you ready for the next one? This is from listener Joe, and the subject is not a question, just thank you. And Joe says, my boss gave me the obesity code for Christmas after watching me struggle for years, and she turned me on to your podcast. I think I started IF before she got back to her office. I started skipping breakfast for a couple of days, then graduated to 16-8 for a couple of days. Did three days of 18 or 19-hour fasts, and wow, just wow, All the inflammation that has me limping around with the ortho doctor saying I might need hip surgery and my sinuses, chronic sinusitis for all my life, was cleared up. And I've lost weight too. Have had a couple of bad days after champagne on New Year's Day, but just have to laugh at myself. My body really gave me what for, and because of you guys, I know to listen and just get back on the wagon. This is the perfect lifestyle for me after 36 years of dealing with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and all the crap that comes with it. Real love-hate relationship with food and diets. For the first time, I can relax and just have a four or five hour window and thoroughly enjoy eating in that window too. I too love, love, love your podcasts and the books I've read of yours so far. I'm almost caught up with all the podcasts, but will definitely listen to them again. Thank you. Yeah, I think the the decrease in inflammation is just something that's so striking for for many people, and so many of the things that that plague us these days are are tied back to inflammation. So, being able to reduce inflammation is just huge. Doing it, you know, just through fasting, it's so motivating that people not that people have health struggles for so long, but that people have health struggles for so long, and then they can so quickly make progress and feel better with intermittent fasting. That's just really motivating to me. It's never too late. Right. And that's what makes it such a lifestyle because when people get used to intermittent fasting, they realize how much better they feel. And then, you know, when they go off of it for a few days for holidays or for whatever, for life, because that's normal, they can't wait to get back on it. I know I've said that before, but the fact that we feel better this way means it's not some kind of punishing diet. It's it's really a lifestyle that you that you enjoy. All right. So we have one more feedback email. This comes from Andrea, and the subject is vitamin D and tanning beds. And I don't know if it's Andrea or Andrea, but she says, Hello, ladies. Let me start by telling you how much I love and adore your awesome podcast. 
It has been instrumental in my IF journey and has helped me over so many hurdles as I learned how to navigate my exciting new lifestyle. I've listened to every single episode and now I just drum my fingers waiting for the next one. You are both such fantastic researchers with such sound advice that I have to say I was incredibly shocked when you recommended indoor tanning as a viable way to increase exposure to vitamin D. I'm not sure how much you have looked into this, but indoor tanning is incredibly dangerous when related to the incidence of deadly melanoma. Indoor tanning before the age of 35 can increase cancer risk by 59%, and research suggests that as many as 400,000 new cancer diagnoses annually come as a result of indoor tanning. Please consider reading some of the stats available from the American Academy of Dermatology and passing along the info to your listeners. Tanning beds can be super dangerous, and there are no safe tans. I know we value your opinions greatly, and I would hate for someone to put themselves at risk when there are other vitamin D options available. Thanks so much, and I look forward to learning more from you both. All right, so I'm so happy that Andrea wrote in about this. I definitely was not as clear and did not provide as much information about this whole topic as I should have, so I'd really like to talk about it more. So thank you, Andrea, for bringing this up. This is really great. Skin cancer and sun exposure is not something to take lightly, and baking in tanning beds all the time, especially like I did when I was in high school, I am not recommending that, and I don't think that's healthy, and I'm not encouraging that at all. So I did want to clarify why I said what I said and some of the research behind it. So this idea about using tanning beds for vitamin D, I actually have heard about it from many of the people that I look up to in their books, specifically Dave Asprey's book, Headstrong, as well as Dr. I think it's Mercola, Dr. Mercola's book, Effortless Healing. He talks about that. It goes back to the nature of what vitamin D is, and it's a hormone. And it's not something that our body is used to getting in a supplemental form. And the way we work naturally, our body produces the hormone from sun exposure. There's debates about whether supplemental vitamin D, even though we've talked about it before and how we use it, and I use like transdermal versions, there are debates about whether those are effective, and there are actually some studies showing that they might actually be harmful. So for example, a 2015 randomized study in Finland found that vitamin D in the supplemental form failed to offer any benefits compared to placebo or exercise. I personally believe the benefits of getting vitamin D from very short sun exposure way outweigh the potential for skin cancer, especially if you follow a few steps, which I'm about to talk about. Um, but it's funny that this comes up because I talked about this in my book and it was a headache with the, uh, the legal department trying to keep it in. Like I said, when this topic came up, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, UVB is the ray responsible for primarily increasing your vitamin D production, and it also causes less tissue damage and it has more biological benefits, and it's actually the ray not responsible for the, the tanned look, so it's in the cheaper beds, so that, that is in your favor. Studies show that it can possibly mitigate inflammation, release dopamine, and it can also help with a lot of skin issues, and also it can possibly kill antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And some studies even show that it might protect against skin cancer, ironically enough. So that's kind of crazy. 
10 minutes in those beds that are UVB. I do advocate that. I know that that's going to be controversial, um, but I'll put links in the show notes to all the studies showing where this is all coming from. Yeah, I've got just a couple things to add. The first, and um, Dr. Mercola is also who I first read about this, about, you know, this importance of the sun, um, reading his newsletter. And again, I hope that we're pronouncing it correctly. I've never known how to say it. I've looked and can't figure it out. But Mercola um, has a lot of stuff out there about health. But he has an article that he just put out um, in September of 2017. And um, I love the title of it, and I think you'll appreciate it. It's called Photopharmacology. Using light for health, parentheses, just don't call them tanning beds. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Don't you love that? Because, and so he talks about how we can safely get um, light for health. And he's calling it photopharmacology, just don't call them tanning beds. So um, I think he must have gotten some flack from calling them tanning beds too. And so the the light therapy is an appropriate therapy, but you're right. You don't want to go, you know, bake yourself. That, that is not what we're suggesting at all. And also, there's um, an article that we'll put in the show notes. This is an article from Harvard Medical School. And it's actually, it's an article. It's not a, a study, but it discusses a study. And it's a study out of Sweden that I remember reading about, um, I don't know, maybe a year ago. This, this actual article is from 2016. But there was a study in Europe that was, it was about 20 years in duration in Sweden. They followed about 30,000 women. Have you heard about this study, Melanie? I'm not sure. What did they find? They found that um, of these 30,000 women who were monitored for 20 years, so, I mean, we're not talking about five five women they looked at for five weeks or anything like that. 30,000 women in Sweden monitored for 20 years. Those who spent more time in the sun lived longer and had less heart disease and fewer non-cancer deaths than those who reported less sun exposure. So, um, you know, vitamin D is very important. You know, when we go back to our physiology, why do we have different skin pigmentation? You know, those of us with lighter skin are from, you know, parts of the world where we get, um, we, they're, they're less, you know, like our ancestors got less direct sunlight. So we, our skin was actually designed to take in more sun so we could make the vitamin D that we needed. And so, um, you know, people who have a darker skin pigmentation lived in areas where they got more direct sunlight nearer the equator, and they needed more protection from the sun. So our skin naturally is, um, you know, designed to help us get what we need based on where our ancestors are from. So that's, of course, why those of us with fair skin burn so easily. We're not meant to get all that tons and tons of direct sunlight all the time. It's very damaging if you get too much. So we have that built-in mechanism that we need to be careful you definitely don't want to get too much and overdo it. Um, you know, do it safely. But vitamin D is important. Our skin is designed to <laughs> help us with that. I just think vitamin D is so, so important. And most people are deficient. Like most people. It's just so important for so much of our health. And I think that, like I said, that the uh, the benefits far outweigh the potential side effects if you're do- if you're being smart about it. I highly recommend reading this article from Harvard that analyzes it. And they talk about, um, you know, rather than just is this causation, is it correlation, they talk about all the good things you want to think about when you're analyzing a study. But it, it's a really good article that will help you see it. You know, we're just – we're almost so scared of the sun that um, we're afraid to get sun on our skin. And, and we forget that that's actually doing good things. 
if you get, you get it as designed. So anyway, I just think, I think that was important. But thank you so much, Andrea, for the for the feedback, and we and we really really appreciate it, and we we take we don't take the uh, the issue lightly for sure. No, definitely not. And you definitely don't ever want to burn or you know that's. Shall we jump into our questions for today? Our first question is from Ossia, and the subject is gratitude, questions, and ideas. Ossia says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. My friend recommended your podcast a couple of weeks ago. I listened to most episodes and learned so much. Thank you. I used to unconsciously practice IF for years because it's my natural state, but read my way out of the lifestyle by adopting false beliefs that six small meals is the only way to maintain a high metabolism and that I need to fuel my body post-workouts with protein while avoiding fat, carbs, and calories. Doesn't that sound exhausting? Needless to say, after several years of eating the, quote, right way and trying to constantly fuel my active lifestyle, I got burned out and slowly lost energy and gained weight. I recently learned that IF is a credible lifestyle and readopted this way of eating, this time with much more confidence and less shame for eating one meal a day, thanks to your podcast and personal input. I have several questions. The first says, I like to fast for 19 to 20 hours at a time. However, I notice that my eating window varies from day to day. For example, some days I break my fast with a full meal, which only takes me less than an hour to eat. These days I feel satiated and have a hard time eating more, so I restart my fast. Other days I open my window and I eat over the course of four to six hours. Once I close the window, I start another 19 to 20 hour fast. I am unable to stretch my fast to 23 hours and I'm not striving to. What are the benefits and cons for varied eating windows with the consistent 19 to 20 hour fast? I personally think you should just do whatever works best for you personally. So some people like the more varied approach because it gives them more flexibility. Some people are more control freaks and like having a very specific routine. That's that's more like me. Um, as far as the benefits of a varied versus a not varied, I, I do think that being flexible, especially if you feel like you're hitting a plateau, it can be good for not getting accustomed to any one thing. And if you think about it, it's more natural historically from a health perspective we weren't eating by the clock as hunter-gatherers. They, they were eating in intermittent fasting periods because they weren't eating all the time. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Jen? Yeah, I think that what, what she's doing sounds absolutely perfect. And what I really like to see is she eats till she feels satiated and then she stops. She says, I have a hard time eating more, so I restart my fast. That is exactly what your um, – your hormones want you to do. <laughs> That's why they're there. They're there to say, hey, I'm full. And so if you do force yourself to eat more, you're going to, you're overeating. And so we have people talk about this a lot in the in the Facebook groups. They um, worry, oh my gosh, I haven't had enough. So I'm going to make myself eat to this artificial cal- calorie target that I heard I had to eat to. And then they like feel sick and feel bad and and their body's like, no, that was more food than you needed. Whereas other days, just like she said in this question, she opens her window and eats over the course of four to six hours. Her body is saying, hey, I need a little more food today. And that's really, I think, the way to handle it. You don't want to rigidly control your body. Your body has feedback mechanisms in place that will guide you. And that's, that's what Melanie and I discuss so often. That's the actual goal. 
you know, learning to stop when you're full and give yourself permission to have that four to six hour window if your body needs it. You know, some people will say, I meant to have a two hour window and I had to open it again and have, I was a six hour window and I'm so mad at myself for, you know, cheating. We're like, no, that's not what happened at all. Um, you needed to eat more and you listened and actually you should congratulate yourself for that because you, you really, your body sends you that feedback for a purpose. So also we do know that there's um, some research on alternate day fasting patterns. And of course, I'm not talking about her doing alternate day fasting here. She's not. But on an alternate day fasting pattern, you have days that are up days and down days where you are purposefully eating more some days and less other days. And of course, that's not what she's doing here. She's just listening to her body's cues. But the pattern of varying it has shown to be good metabolically. It protects your metabolism, keeps it from lowering. So I can't see a single single con to what she's doing here. All right. Are we ready for the, the second part of her question? Yes. And this is, I work in the wine industry and often attend wine trainings or tastings during my fasted state. If I spit after each taste, am I breaking the fast? And I knew this one was tailor designed for Melanie. That was Jen speaking. But what do you say to that, Melanie? I love this question so much. Interestingly, alcohol can be absorbed through the membrane of your mouth. So technically, you could start processing the alcohol from just tasting and spitting. And I actually found an interesting study where they actually tested this exact thing. They wanted to see if enough alcohol could be absorbed from tasting and spitting to significantly increase blood alcohol content. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, isn't it? Ten participants were given 15 milliliters, so that's approximately a half ounce of five white wines and five red wines. And then they rinsed with water in between and they did this over the course of one hour. They measured their blood alcohol content 15 minutes after they were done with everything. And then they also did it a week later, but this time the participants actually drank the wine rather than spitting it out. The results were pretty interesting. When the volunteers tasted and spit out the samples, They actually did have a detectable rise in blood alcohol content, but it was like point, it was 0.0026%. So it was tiny little samples. And so even though they only took in a total of 150 milliliters, which is about one glass of wine, um, it actually raised their BAC above, this was in the Netherlands, above the legal limit of 0.05%. So the takeaway is it doesn't probably not making a huge difference but I do know for me personally that um when I because I'm a a big taster of wine and I love like the whole experience the whole the whole cliche of you know swirling the glass and swishing it around in your mouth and I know when I was studying for the the WSAT which is the wine course that I did the certification I do a lot of tasting a lot of swishing and I I know that I am so sensitive, especially at the end of my fast, that when I just put the wine in my mouth, I personally do feel like a metabolic effect, I think. Like I, I, I feel like it is absorbed a little bit through the membranes. And that's actually a bit of a problem for me because I am, like I said, I do have blood sugar issues. So I 
respond pretty quickly to things. But if you have really stable blood sugar and you're not finding that it's making you hungry, I think it's probably fine. Um, What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, I would just recommend um, that that would be how you would open your window that day and have a flexible window that adjusts, you know, maybe – um, maybe the wine trainings, tastings, maybe that could be an eight-hour window and then compensate on another day having a shorter window or something like that. Um, I, I, I do think that that's just something to keep in mind. You've got to make it work for your lifestyle. You've got to design an intermittent fasting regimen and schedule that works for you. So you got to make it work. <laughs> Figure it out for you, for yourself and, um, you know, and uh, – up day, down day approach could even work for this. You know, let's say she knows she has tasting certain days of the week. Those could be the the up days of the, um, the alternate day fasting or the 4-3 kind of approach. And then the days that she doesn't, she could fast longer. Yeah, I was going to say this actually fits pretty well into it and a fluctuating window approach throughout the week. Yeah. All right. Now, she has one more question, and we're going to get to that one in a bit because we have some similar questions that we're grouping together. So, All right. So the next question comes from, would you say Mila? Mila or Mila. And the subject is help. And Mila says, hi, ladies. First of all, I love you ladies and the podcast. I wish there were more of them. Keep up the good work. I've started my clean fasting finally. I like sparkling water with lemon. It doesn't make me hungry. And I use warm tea if I feel hungry. But usually I don't. I feel like it really helps to baby step your way to clean fasting. Like you ladies, one a day meals are best. So I guess my main questions are, and she has a few. So her first question, she says, did you both take this baby step approach? Was most of your weight loss achieved with clean fasting or during other fasting phases? It's a very good question. And I talk about this in detail in my book, Delay, Don't Deny. And I definitely come clean, ha, 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 <laughs> about <laughs> about what I did. Oh, my goodness. That's something my mother would say. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, I didn't understand clean fasting like so many of us. And people today, some people still don't, you know, in, in many intermittent fasting support groups. They're like, of course, have whatever you want, drink a diet soda, whatever. But, of course, um, that's not what I think. But, now, at the time, when I first got into intermittent fasting, no one was talking about the hormonal effects of spiking your insulin during the fast. No one was talking about that. It was really just based on calories. And so the thought uh, at the time was if you were not ingesting calories during the fast, you were fasting. And it's all about calories. So I would, you know, I've talked about this in Delay, Don't Deny. As I said, I used Stevia in my coffee. I um, think I drank those Zevia Colas because they, um, you know, are, quote, natural and they have zero calories. I did all sorts of fruity and sweet teas. I don't mean sweet like, you know, like sugary, but I mean like I would put Stevia in a raspberry-flavored tea and drink that all the time. Um I used vanilla flavored stevia, in fact. So I was I was constantly drinking something sweet. And I was able to lose about 75 pounds doing that. Now, I believe that fasting was a whole lot harder for me than than it is now. It was a whole lot harder to get through the day. I was hungrier during the day. And I talked about this in my book. Once I got to goal, 
I slowly started to regain some weight. And I actually regained about eight pounds slowly, something like that, over over a period of months. And of course, we've been taught that you do regain weight after you lose weight, and that is inevitable. And everyone who loses weight will regain and have a struggle maintaining because, you know, people don't maintain their weight. So that's just what happens. So I thought it was inevitable. And then the obesity code came out, um, Dr. Jason Fung's book. And I read his book and I had been reading his blog, but I read his book and I, I knew that, it, you know, insulin, whatever, but I was in denial that what I was drinking during the fast affected me. And he absolutely was very, very clear. He talked, there's like one page in his book where he talked about how um, certain things like stevia, I think, and something else, some of these artificial sweeteners or zero-calorie sweeteners actually cause your insulin to go up more than table sugar. And, you know, he, he makes the whole case for obesity being hormonal and related to insulin and I, I was, it just floored me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is making a difference for me. So that was when I knew I had to give all this stuff up. And I went to what, what we now call the clean fast went to, of course I, I pitched a fit about it. I wasn't happy. I thought I was going to die. I drink, I decided I was going to give up coffee completely rather than try to drink it black. But then, oh, the caffeine withdrawal was terrible. And then I um decided I'm going to try it. I'm going to do the black. I'm going to get through it. And over time, just a couple of weeks, I actually found I preferred it black. And now I, I would not drink stevia. I don't like it that way. I like the black coffee. But an amazing thing happened when I made that switch and got rid of all these these things that I thought were getting me through the day. You know, I thought it was supposed to be hard to fast. I thought we were going to be hungry. I thought, you know, I was counting down until my window opened and like ready to open it. Once I got rid of all that stuff, the fast became truly effortless. I had more energy during the day. I was not hungry. I didn't have to like watch the clock. And um, some days if I'm really busy, I forget to open my window until later. I mean, I certainly wasn't doing that before. This was in um, maybe March of 2016. And ever since then, I lost that extra weight I had regained and have continued to effortlessly maintain. No more struggle with with my clothes getting too tight because I'm gaining weight. Of course, I don't weigh, but my clothes are getting looser, not tighter. So it made all the difference in the world for me. So yes, I was able to lose the weight with, quote, dirty fasting and doing all the things that I now advise against. It was hard. It was a struggle to maintain. And removing those things changed the whole experience. I know so many people that are like that. Some people in the Facebook groups, there's one member who tells the same story as me and and she's um she's a very valuable member and she talks about how she joined our Facebook support group at first and we were insisting on the clean fast and she had lost a bunch of weight not doing the clean fast. And so she was so mad that we were insisting on the clean fast that she quit the group and, <laughs> and left the group. And then I guess, I don't know, maybe she read my book. I don't know what brought her back, but she rejoined the group and switched over to the clean fast. And now she, like me, is one of the biggest proponents for the clean fast in the group. And she's like, you know, I quit over this and was mad about it. But now I realize it was absolutely truth. And the fast is easier. She's gone 10 pounds below her goal weight. And before she was having the same struggle as me, the struggle with weight gain. You know, we're not just making this up. 
you know, based on some theory that, you know, with rats, whatever, we've seen it in application over and over and over. And I think that that is the most powerful thing. In my um, blog post, Does a Clean Fast Really Matter?, there's a whole section at the end where people tell their stories, and a lot of them are people like me who switched over. Once you've done it one way and then devote yourself to the clean fast, you you really, you know, I've never known anybody to say, I tried it your way for two months and then decided to go back to my diet soda habit, and I'm so happy I went back to my diet sodas. I've never heard that, <laughs> but I've heard the opposite a million times, people who try it the clean fast way and they're sold on it after being skeptical. So that was a really long answer to that question. But this is why I'm so passionate about it and why I insist that you try it this way because it really makes a difference. You think that diet soda is helping you get through and it, it's making it so much harder and you don't even know it. I knew Jen, that you'd have a lot to say about that. I like the wine and the paleo and you like the clean fasting. <laughs> Well, it's important. So important. It is important. So my answer for the whole baby step approach. So my timeline in the whole diet world, I originally went low carb. That's when I realized that food affected how how you felt, it affected your energy levels. And I did the typical Atkins approach, you know, neurotic 20 grams of carbs per day. Then I went super low carb, like just meat and coconut oil type of low carb. And I did that for quite a while. Um, and I loved it. It was it was really great. So I think that really made me fat adapted. And then I adopted intermittent fasting. And that's when I started basically, I talked about this before in prior podcasts, um, but this is pretty funny. I would basically in college, I would just fast all day. And then I would go, they would mark down the rotisserie chickens at the Ralph's by me if, around 11 p.m. And I would have classes late. So around 11 p.m., I would go get a rotisserie chicken for literally, I think, like $2.50. <laughs> and then I would just slather in coconut oil, and then I was good. However, that said, this was before I was into paleo and whole foods and the importance of additives. And so I was not doing clean fasting. Interestingly enough, it worked for me. I do know as a crutch, you can still start the intermittent fasting lifestyle with, quote, dirty fasting, but I don't recommend it. But then when I adopted the paleo diet and decided to cut out artificial sweeteners and additives and all the processedness, which honestly, when I first decided to do it, I really didn't think it would make that much of a difference, but it made a huge difference. And that's when I really started to realize how much food affects how you feel and how important it is to eat whole natural foods. And that's when I started clean fasting because I could no longer do the artificial sweeteners. I think I probably did like stevia. Like you, Jen, once I cut it out and went cold turkey, things just got so much better. You don't feel like yeah. you're a slave to needing that constant sweet taste. I finally went through a period where I did no coffee, no caffeine, no nothing. Now I'm back to black coffee, and actually more recently, I've been experimenting with Bulletproof coffee, and that's um, in the form of adding pure MCT oil and just the MCT oil that is the C8 version. Do you know about the, the C8 versus C10 MCTs? I don't. Uh-uh. Medium chain triglycerides are a type of fat which 
are very rapidly converted to ketones. They aren't metabolized by the body like normal fats. People think that, oh, coconut oil is MCT, so they're going to use that in their coffee for, quote, bulletproof coffee. But coconut oil actually has substantial amounts of normal long-chain saturated fats in the form of lauric acid in addition to the C10, C8, which is the, the shorter form of the MCT. It's the C8 and the C10 versions of MCTs, which don't require any processing by the body. And the C8, the shortest version, that is the version that is most rapidly converted into ketones. If you're thinking of trying Bulletproof Coffee and probably not break your fast, getting the straight up C8 version is the way you would want to do that. And I've done a lot of research. There are actually four different main brands that generate this version. And I personally love clean MCT. I am only experimenting with the Bulletproof Coffee now, actually, because I'm actually trying to put on a little bit of weight. And I don't want to stop my intermittent fasting. I will say to Jen, it is really hard to gain weight. (laughs) With intermittent fasting? We're talking like 5,000 calories. It's been quite a while and I have not gained any weight from it. In worst case scenario, I could stop intermittent fasting, but I just love how it makes me feel so much. Right. So um, have you thought about just having a little bit of a longer window? Problem for me is that if I try to have like lunch, for example, my productivity kind of goes, goes down. down. I think if my blood sugar was like on point and amazing, then I could definitely eat lunch be good, then later eat dinner, be good. That's why I've also been thinking about experimenting with keto a little bit. Point of all that is that um, it's always a, it's always a journey with intermittent fasting and with health and with food. And I think it's very telling that what works for you one day might not work for you the next day. And you definitely should be open to change and it's okay to change things up. Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, it really is. And we talk about that a lot in the Facebook groups. I know I keep saying that, but that this is a, a personal journey and it, it's you learn about yourself. I mean, people are learning things about themselves totally unrelated to food even. They're like, you know, the fasting um, makes you dig deep into many, many things because you're not emotionally numbing yourself with food all day. So you have to deal with other stuff. So, you know, intermittent fasting does a whole lot more than cause you to lose weight. <laughs> It's a whole big lifestyle that changes you in so many ways. Like we just said, you are your own person. It's totally fine to experiment with things. You learn things about yourself. There's so much potential, really. It's just fasting. I just, that's why we're such advocates. I am such a believer. Yeah. And and if I wasn't hearing everyone else's stories, they're just confirmation. You know, I can say, well, here's what happened with me. And that's, that's you know, my N equals one. And so, you know, that's all fine and good. But it's not just, you know, what happened with me. There are 40,000 members in one of my Facebook groups and 20,000, actually more like 41 and 21, something like that. We got a lot of people in these groups. And it is, they're growing like crazy. And they are saying the same things. They're like, oh my gosh, this changing to the clean fast changed my life, you know, and, and you just can't really necessarily believe it. If you're in the habit of adding, you know, the cream every day and you're like, yeah, but the cream's what gets me through and it works for me. And I read it in this book and in our group, we do it and it's fine. You know, give yourself a few weeks of, of doing it the way we recommend with just the black coffee and see, see if you don't notice a difference. I'm not saying do it for a day, 
And you're not committed for life. Tell yourself that. Right. Because what's going to happen is you you will be committed for life. Yeah, you, you it's true. It, but yeah. you're not committed for life. Try like a two-week trial run. And if it doesn't work and you don't like it better, please let us know. I would actually love to to hear that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I don't think we'll get any emails. I don't think we'll get any. <laughs> no, no. But yeah, that great discussion. It just it, it seems to matter for so many people. All right, we have one more question of hers. Then I think we're we're not going to have time to get to the third question, the ones that are the same. We'll do those next time. But her um her question part two was, I'd really like to lose weight before the holidays. Sorry that we missed this one before the holidays. <laughs> By the way, we just have so many questions we couldn't get to them all. But some of these questions are from summer. I feel so. Bad. I know we have so many coming in. But she says, now that I started clean fasting, should I wait and see or add workouts? I'm still working on giving up the chips during my feeding window. Not sure if that's caused me to stay in maintenance or the fact that I'm not fasting clean. Um, so, what do you think about that? Her main question is, should she should should she work out now or just see what happens? So that's a really that's a good question. You know, it's like. It's like, do you want to do all the things at once or should you do one thing at a time, evaluate, then add another thing, evaluate? I think for adding workouts to, um, you know, encourage more weight loss, encourage more everything, if you're feeling up to it, I mean, you can do it. Do it. Working out is, is good for health. It definitely catalyzes the fasted state. But if you want to take things slower and you feel like, you know, clean fasting is working for you for now and you don't really, you're not looking forward to adding workouts. As we always say, do what works for you. Um, what, what do you think, Jen? Do you think she should? Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, she also talked about in the last part of that, you know, should she give up certain foods during the feeding window? And um, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking she may be um, from England or Australia because she says chips in the feeding window. So <laughs> I'm thinking she might mean, are those like French fries oh, during the eating window? So I don't know. Cookies. Or ch- no, chips or French fries. Oh, chips, chips or French, or French fries. fries. Okay. Cookies or biscuits. Is that oh, right? right? Yeah. 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 So she's, I don't know. She, I, I, I don't know, but, um, I mean, but they could just be chips. Like Doritos. They could be, I would, you know, she's made one change at a time. Giving, giving up the, the, the dirty fast and going to the clean fast, that is really what was life-changing for me, as I said. But it also, that was when my eating preferences started to change. You know, we talked about this before that you tend to naturally gravitate towards, quote, healthier foods. You know, I still eat French fries and chips, whichever kind you may mean. Um, I don't eat them as my main thing, and I don't eat them every day, and I don't like them unless they're like high-quality fries or chips. But you know, at, when I went to the clean fasting, I found my, I wanted to also eat more vegetables. It just happened naturally, not because I forced myself to do it. So I would just change that one thing maybe now before you focus on changing your foods and see if that doesn't happen for you naturally. And of course, the exercising, like Melanie said, you know, add that in if you'd like. But I, I wonder if there's a connection between the clean fast and finding your food preferences changing. I think so. I really think it was for me because that's where the hormonal regulation comes in. You know, if if you read about the science of insulin and your hormones and getting that all in balance, when you're constantly, you know, messing with your insulin all day through these um, these sweetened things, you're going to have more trouble with your satiety signals. I mean, it's all just going to be a little more muddled up, whereas with the clean fast, you get 
get things, you know, back under control. I think I think it probably matters because we don't have a study about this because, you know, people haven't compared the two formally in a lab setting. It, it would be difficult to do, but, um, you know, I think it, it's something we've just seen anecdotally so many times. People's tastes change, especially when they are are clean fasting. So get back to us. Try it and see and see if it makes a difference. Please do. We'd love to hear more about it. And I agree with you, Jen, that the more changes you make towards a healthy state and things that benefit you, the more it just all goes together. Like the food choices, the clean fasting, you gain more energy, so then you do want to work out. Um, It becomes easier to get rid of some of the crutches that you have. Just getting the momentum going. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. And and then you just – you wake up one day and you're like, who am I? I don't like this junk food anymore. <laughs> you know, if we had, if I had a list of foods you were never allowed to eat again, it would feel like a diet. But when you yourself are like, I don't like that anymore, it's power. You've got the power. It's not my power. It's your power. So Myla and Asia, they both had another question. And then we had two more listeners with also related questions. So it all goes together for an upcoming topic, which you'll just have to, listeners, tune in next week for that. Yeah. Because we are out of time. We are. All right. So a few things before we go. If you go to our website, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 39. That's where we're going to have show notes for this episode. That's where we're going to put references to all the studies we discussed and any applicable links. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all of the, the products and the particular specific things that we like. So that link is really helpful. Yeah, definitely check that one out. Also, if you're on iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and then you will get it downloaded automatically each and every week. You won't even have to do anything. And then when you're in iTunes, if you have a moment to write a brief review, we would just really appreciate that so much. It really just helps with spreading the word about intermittent fasting, dismantling the fear surrounding it, encouraging other people. So we would really appreciate that. And now my my personal plug, please come see me at my book signing on um, January 20th at Barnes & Noble at 5 p.m. That'd be awesome. I wish I could come. I'm on the opposite coast. (laughs) I know. That's not going to happen. But yes, please come. That would be so awesome. I'd love to see you there. And if you do, definitely come talk to me after and let me know that you're a listener of the podcast. All right. Any final thoughts from you, Jen? No, I think that's it. I enjoyed the the topic, and we we're both very passionate about our our conversations our today. Stuff. Yeah, I know <laughs> this one. I feel like this episode took a lot of interesting turns. Yeah, well, you know, clean fasting is such a hot topic, and um, you know, maybe people don't realize that it is, but there's a lot of intermittent fasting communities out there, and um, a lot of people join ours from others. <laughs> they don't have the same emphasis, so. If someone is sending me a really nasty email, it's probably something about a diet soda. <laughs> I get you would not believe the private messages that I get. They're oh, like, I, would. I uh, yeah, I drink it all the time. You're ridiculous. That doesn't matter. You know, it would be a lot easier for me just to tell people do whatever you want, but I just can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Well, you know, my life would be a lot more peaceful if I said, hey, everybody, do whatever you want to do, if it, whatever. But I really believe that it makes a difference. So that's why I'm passionate about it. So um, I'm not going to stop being me. That's our good takeaway, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Don't stop being you. There you go. 
Unless you're not doing the clean fast, then you could stop that. <laughs> no. Be you and clean. At the, no. <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> All right. This was wonderful. All right. Well, I will see you next week. All right. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.